Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to JICF. I still remember a few years ago, uh, I have said this in my sermons uh, maybe last year, but I'm sure you don't remember anymore. Uh, I had a conversation with a lady from one of the countries in Europe, and the conversations led to us talking about the life after death. And I uh, told her that I believe there will be a judgment uh, after this life, and we will be all uh, held accountable for what we are doing right now. And this is what she said to me. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe there will be final judgment. I don't believe there is a life after death. I don't believe all these things. So I asked her, how do you live your life right now? On what perspective? What drives you to live out your good lives right now? I just don't know. I just live whatever I like. I just enjoy it. And then I asked her, what if it turns out that after you die, there is God who will judge you? And she said, never thought about that. I never thought about that. But many people, I think, they are living their lives right now on the earth, living like there will be no consequences whatsoever for what they are doing right now. Even probably among Christians, we think that there is a famous saying, which is not wrong, that only faith in God, in Jesus, will take us to heaven, nothing else. And we don't care about what we do. We don't care about the actions of our lives. And, uh, and this passage today, I'm going to talk about the final judgment. Now, I'm not gladly choosing this topic uh, this Sunday to tell you about the final judgment. We are going through the book of Matthew, and this is the topic uh, for today. And I'm sure for the last couple of Sundays, many different speakers have uh, spoken about uh, something to do with the end times. And I believe Jesus was preaching about this. He was talking about this day of the end times like a diamond. From, uh, it's a multifaceted, uh, you can see from many different perspectives to enrich us to uh, be able to understand better about what is going to happen after uh, this life. I'm not going to read uh, details about um, the passage is a long passage. I will cover that as we go through the we go through the topic today. So the topic for today is final judgment, living now with the end in perspective. As I said before, many of us are living now on the earth just like this is everything, and when we die, that is all. And we need to know uh, what is the end of everything, what's the end of this world, what is the end of my life. And that understanding will help us uh, to define how we wake up every morning and live out our lives for God. Uh, the passage is from Matthew 25, verse, uh, verses 31 to 46. Uh, it talks about one day the Son of Man will come with his angels in glorious uh, thrones, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered before him, and he will judge them as a shepherd separating uh, goats and uh, sheep, goats to the left, sheep to the right, 
and then he will reward those who are on the left, uh, the sheep, because of the things they do to others. And then he will also say to the left that they will, be, uh, they will receive punishment, uh, there will be uh, eternal punishment for them, also for the things they don't do to others. Now, there are three things I would like to share with you today, but before that, uh, let's uh, pray. Father God, thank you so much that uh, we know that you are a loving God uh, who loves us, who came down from heaven to give your life to die for us so we may uh, have eternal life. Uh, but you are also a just God, God who uh, doesn't compromise with anything that is against your will. So we just pray today that uh, the passage that we are in, uh, going to study together will help us, Father, to live out our lives right now with the end in perspective. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, there are three things I would like to share. Very simple. Uh, you can go home and remember. Number one is that there will be final judgment. There will be final judgment. In verse uh, 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne in heavenly glory. When the Son of Man comes, when will be that day? That day is the day of judgment. Because God has set aside one day to judge the whole world. In Acts chapter 17, verse uh, uh, 31, Paul was uh, saying this to uh, the people in Athens. He said, For God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. God has set one day where he will judge the whole world. We don't know when exactly will be that day, but there is a day God has set aside for us. Now, Many of us, maybe our families are from Buddhist backgrounds. I don't know much about Buddhism, but Buddhism teaches that life is a cycle. There is no end to it. Uh, you go this life right now, and if you live better, your next life, the next cycle of your life, you will become better and better, and then maybe you can reach perfection. Uh, so there is no, no specific end of this life. Uh, the secular people... Those who live without God, they will think that there is no afterlife. I still remember we were in one country, and then these people don't really believe there is God. And then uh, one of the families, uh, family members died, and they just put in the casket and just took to the grave and put there. There is no service. You can imagine uh, what hope you have if you think that the end of this current life is, is there, everything. Uh, but biblical worldview is that the world has the beginning and the end. History is linear, and we will one day face the judgment of God. Now, there is a, a, a bishop and a scholars, uh, N.T. Wright, wrote a book called Simply Christians. I just 
woke up this morning, I thought I will, I will, I will uh, share this. Uh, uh, I haven't put that on the screen because I've sent the slides to Amanda already. But uh, as we came here, I, I just grabbed this book. And uh, he writes something. This, the title is Simply Christians. It is considered the, uh, the another best book after uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, Mere Christianity. And he says something like, we all long for perfect beauty in the world. But once you think that something is perfectly beauty, you find something missing with that. We all long for something that is very nice, very perfect, but then there is always something missing. And he talks about justice as well. We all long for perfect justice in this world. And many people have been doing their best to make law so justice can be perfectly served, but there is something missing with justice in this world. And he wrote something that I would like to uh, uh, read for you. And yet we have a sense that justice itself slips through our fingers. Sometimes it works, often it doesn't. Innocent people get convicted, guilty people are left off. The bullies and those who can bribe their way out of trouble get away with wrongdoing. Not always, but often enough for us to notice and to wonder why. People hurt others badly and walk away laughing. Victims don't always get compensated. Sometimes they spend the rest of their lives coping with sorrows, hurt, and bitterness. A few years ago, I read a story of a man who was sentenced to prison for 40 years in prison. And after 40 years, they found out that he was actually innocent. He was innocent. And how many guilty people are walking free and how many innocent people are now in prison? Uh, not because sometimes people intentionally do that, but we still have shortcomings in the law system, justice system, and everything. That makes us longing for a perfect justice. Is there anything like that? And oftentimes, people who know the law twist it, and injustice is found in the court of justice sometimes. And you know that well in Indonesia. They're improving, but that's, that's can happen. Uh, a friend of mine told me that whenever he has the case, you can go to some, someone and he will tell you, what kind of result do you want? Already in advance. If you want this result, you have to pay this much. And we'll make everything just what you like. Can you imagine that? So there will be a final judgment where perfect justice will be served, But God, the perfect God, perfect just God, will serve justice perfectly for us. Now, when this will be happening in this story, uh, it depends on how you feel your understanding of eschatology. Uh, From previous weeks, uh, we have heard about, maybe some will say that there will be a thousand years, literally, reigning of Christ here on earth. Some will say, Christ is reigning right now on earth in a spiritual kingdom. The believers are reigning with him in heaven. That was how I was trained. Uh, but I understand that there are many different views of uh, Christ reigning on earth. 
Uh, if you believe that there will be a physical reigning of Christ for a thousand years here, you might think that this is probably the, the uh, judgment to allow people into the thousand years. Or if you if you not, then this will be a final judgment uh, where people will be judged and will be allowed to enter into eternity to be with God forever. Some people call me, you'll be in new heaven and new earth. Whatever your view is, uh, the bottom line is there will be a day where we will face our just God. And Matthew says here about who will come, the term that is used for Jesus is the Son of Man with his angels, and he will sit on his glorious throne. I'm not going to, uh, into detail, but it's interesting that when uh, Jesus talks about his coming as a judge, he uses the term Son of Man. Uh, this, this term is taken way back to the Old Testament time in Daniel chapter 17, where he said the Son of Man going to, is going to reign on the nations, every nation, every tribes, every kingdoms, and he has power upon all those uh, people. And Son of Man speaks about, on the, on the one side it is about the suffering servant, a servant, but on the other side, he is a powerful man. He is a judge, and he is the king, the king and the judge. Nowadays, in our uh, government system, you have different branches of government, executive, judicative, and whatever you call it. So uh, the president is not going to be a judge. Someone else will do that. But in the olden days, the king was also uh, a judge, like Solomon's David. People brought cases to them, and they will... Uh, make uh, decisions. Jesus will come as a king, but at the time he will be also a judge for us. That is the first point. The second one is that all people will be judged and will be separated. This is from verse 32 to 33. It says that all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them, separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. All the nations here speaks about whether both the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews and the Gentiles. Some people will interpret this as the nations speaks about us Gentiles, and then later on Jesus will speak about whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers of mine that speak about the Jews. So the judgment will be based on how we treat the Jews people. Okay, so if you treat them well during the tribulations, whatever your opinion is, pre-trib, post-trib, uh, all this sophisticated eschatology, uh, then if you treat them during the time of difficulties, then you'll be allowed into the kingdom. Uh, uh, there are many people who think about that. We uh, uh, see here that uh, Jesus makes the separations. In the previous chapters of Matthew, 
we read about the, we studied about the uh, parables of the angels coming and separate the wheat and the wheat. Yeah, wheat and wheat. Uh, and also the bad fish and good fish. And now he's, a, he's like a, a shepherd separating goats and, uh, and sheep. In the time in, in, in Palestine, goats and sheep were always held together. So from afar, you don't really know the difference. As you come closer as a shepherd, you will know which one is goat, which one is shepherd. As I read this, I was thinking, well, this is interesting. So the righteous and the wicked can be always in the same place. They can be in the same church. They can go to the same Bible study. Uh, they can do things together as Christians. But who will really know who will be the goats and who will be the sheep? Because they are very similar. They are headed together uh, in one place. These are serious questions for us to always asking, um, am I goats or am I sheep? Goats are stubborn. They don't really follow the instructions. They want to live their own ways. Sheep are, we all know, innocent, obedient, following the shepherds. Are we stubborn? Are we going to live the way we really want in our lives? Or we want to submit our lives to Jesus and follow what he wants us to do? That's the second point. You see, it's very quick and simple. Uh, Everyone will be judged. All people. And I will add one thing is that all people means everyone. Whether you are believers or not believers. Whether you are Christians or not Christians. Dead or living. So one day Jesus will come and judge even those who don't believe in him. Those who are not Christians. In, in Islam they even believe that the final judgment, when the final judgment comes, Jesus Christ uh, will be the judge, even they believe that. So, uh, if you are here and you don't really care about this, you think, yeah, who is Jesus? Uh, what has Jesus had anything to do with me? Well, you can have your own opinion. You can say whatever you want, but one day he will be judged over all of the people on earth, regardless of their backgrounds whether they like Christianity or not, whether they are Christians or not, whether they hate Jesus or love Jesus, he will be your judge. You can imagine like going to the court and you know this judge. You hate him. You don't like this judge. But what can you do? He will be your judge. So you better think about this person more seriously now. The last point. Uh, is the judgment will be based on what we do or what we don't do. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, some of you will think, well, let's see what is this. Because Christianity is all by faith, right? We are saved by faith. Uh, we are saved uh, by, faith, uh, by grace through faith. So why is judgment based on what we do and what we don't do? Uh, before we cover the text of Matthew, I will write to read from Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. Now, the book of Romans is the book where grace is talked a lot there. Lots of movement in church history, uh, uh, reformations was taken from the book of Romans. We are saved by grace alone. But in the same book that talks a lot about grace, Paul says this verses. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. So as we go through, we will find out that, yes, we are, we are by grace saved, but the final judgment will be based on what we have done. And the, the first judgment was given to the righteous in verse 34 to 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. It's interesting what this king says to those on his right. Come, you who are blessed by my father. I think we are all want that one day Jesus will say those sentences to us. Come, my servant. Come, my son. Come, you who are blessed by my father. Later on, we'll see what he says to the wicked. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now, the word inheritance, we all know, is it's not what you earn. Inheritance is prepared by parents or grandparents for the children uh, and grandchildren, probably. Uh, there are lots of interpretations about this, but I just will say, based on verse 46, that this speaks about eternal life. That you will spend your eternity with God. Now you are welcome into my presence to be with me forever. And this kingdom has been prepared before the creation of the world. From the beginning, God's desire was to be with us. His desire was that his created people will come and spend eternity with him. And he prepared this kingdom for his children. Just like many parents here, I believe, you as you got older, even before you get older, you have prepared inheritance for your own children. 
when you die or before even you die, you want to give this to your children. Out of your pleasure, great pleasure, you want to provide inheritance. God has this pleasure. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, he says, He chose us in him even before the creations of the world. That can create lots of uh, discussions about uh, predestinations and everything. But at least in him, in Christ, God has chosen us from the beginning. I would think at least that because God knows from the beginning that Christ Jesus will come on earth and do the work of redemption. And because of that, he has prepared whoever will be believing in Jesus, living in Jesus, trusting in him, the kingdom will be prepared for them. How grateful are the hearts of children knowing that their parents will be giving them inheritance. And how grateful we are. Now we know that our God, with the great pleasures, is preparing for us a great inheritance. Now, then, he talks about what is the reason why you are going to receive this inheritance. He said, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. I believe this is only a representative uh, list, not comprehensive one, just to show the things they have done to other people. Uh, for certain people, they will interpret this as this we are talking about the Jewish people that's going through their suffering during the tribulations. Uh, uh, but this is going to be talked about his disciples, his followers who are going to have these problems, the poor, the needy, and, uh, and those who are in need. After, Jesus, after the king says this, this is, will be the answer uh, of the righteous. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invited you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we say you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Let's, let's pause this and think about this. Uh, it's, it is obvious that the righteous, they, they didn't know that when they have the uh, the hunger people, the naked, those in prisons, they didn't know that they will be serving Jesus. They didn't know that. That means that they have been doing this out of their genuine faith, out of their pure desires to help those who are in need, without any agenda that, well, we are, we are helping these people because by doing this, we are helping Jesus. They didn't know that. They just know there are people who are in need, and then we just want to help them. There are hungry people, and we want to provide food for them. There are people in prison, we want to... They just do it out of their faith, their belief, which is different. 
Uh, Mother Teresa, we all know, was helping the dying people on the streets of Calcutta for many years. People who are rejected by their own families when they are dying, old people's widows, uh, we all know, families do not want to take care of them and they just live on the streets. And then Mother Teresa with her team will come and take these people, put in hospital, take care of them in the last days of their lives. And once she was asked, why do you this? do this? Even these people, their own family, do not want to help them. And these people, there is no chance of living because most of them are in the last uh, uh, stage of their life. And uh, Mother Teresa said, when I see these suffering people on the streets, I see Jesus. I see Jesus. And all our team who are taking care of them in the hospitals, when they take care of these dying people, they, they just think that we are taking care of Jesus himself. That is what motivating them to do all these things. And I don't want to make it different from here, but it seems from here that these people don't know that they are doing this for Jesus. What motivates us really to help other people who are in need? Or more drives us to do good things in our lives? That would be a good question. Uh, whether that's because we know that we are reward, because I will do that because I see this as Jesus, or I'll do that because of the genuine desires in my heart to go and help people uh, who are on it. Then the king replied, will reply, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, you did for me. The question is, what does he mean with the least of these brothers of mine? Again, some people will say, these are the Jewish people. If you help them, you'll go to heaven. But, and other people will say, this is everyone who is suffering. But from this text, we will say, that because Jesus says, these brothers of mine, that means he's speaking about his disciples. He's speaking about believers. He's speaking about uh, those who follow him. Everything that you do to your fellow believers, his disciples will be rewarded. And this reminds us again the importance of helping each other in the body of Christ. There are lots of sufferings in the world. There is always poor people. But what about those who are in the fellow believers? This is what Jesus says in John 13, verse 34, 35. We all know this. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is talking here about loving other disciples, loving other believers in the body of Christ. Another verse in 1 John chapter 3, it is more specific examples is given here. Uh, this is how we know what love is. Christ 
laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. Very clearly said here. Love that you have between your brothers in the church. When they are in need, you want to help. And there are lots of needs here, not only in, in material positions, in need of, of praying for each other, in need of comforting each other, in need of walking aside someone where, where, when they are in uh, tough times. And if we read James chapter 2, it is even more clear uh, when, when James says that the faith with hard works is dead. When people find their brothers uh, in need and say, yeah, just have a nice day, go, hope you can have a warm clothes, but then to do anything. Yes. If you have faith, how do I know that you have genuine faith based on what you do to those who are in need? So genuine faith is like a, a very good seed planted into our hearts. And this seed will finally bear fruits. It is not the other way around. I believe that in our church, there are lots of people who are in need. And as a church, JICF, I know that we are helping so so many people outside the church. I am one of them running those ministries. We are helping uh, people who are not Christians uh, as a way of reaching out to them. But oftentimes I find out that there are people in the church who are suffering or having tough times, but no one knows unless he's part of a small group, a woman's group or men's group, and no one knows. Many people are suffering inside our church. They lost their jobs, uh, they don't have enough, or they are lonely, they're having problems in their, their works. And uh, these verses will remind us to it is good to go out and reach out the world, but it starts from home. That is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, uh, when we ask the question, so is it important to reach out to people outside the church? Yes. Uh, uh, this is what Paul says. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially those who belong to the family of believers, especially. Uh, in other words, we can say that all good habits of helping others starts from home, right? Parents know that you want to train your children to have good habits from home, and that way they can do things outside home as well. And you start doing this in the house of God, in the, uh, the family of believers, helping each other, and from that, that will naturally flow out into the world where we go out and we help others as well. Uh, oftentimes, uh, not the complete gospel is preached by Jesus in one story. We have to remember that. Sometimes we think that one story has all complete package of gospel. Oftentimes, Jesus only emphasizes one thing in one of his parables or one of his, 
his teachings. Here he emphasized a lot of doing good to others. Uh, we read other passages of the Bible we emphasize on the importance of trusting fully uh, in him. Uh, so the emphasis here is to help the fellow believers. But of course, there are always needs outside our church. Because there are also churches who only very internal focus, focus on themselves. They don't care about what is happening outside the wall of their churches. Parables of good Samaritans will help us also to help anyone who is in need. Whatever is the question for me is, why Jesus gave examples of the righteous helping others who are in need? The naked, the hungry, those in prison. Why? He could just say, did you, did you preach the gospel? Did you win people into uh, the kingdom of God? He could just use those examples. But why the examples of doing good is for those who are in need? I fall, uh, quickly mention four things I believe is the hearts of God for those who are in it, which is I shared with my team, and this is a pillar for us in doing uh, what we have been doing. Number one is God always identifies himself with the weak, the needy, and the marginalized. If you read the Old Testament, book of Proverbs, Psalms, God always on the side of the oppressed, of the needy, the weak. I will show the, uh, one of the verses later. And secondly, God loves and defends the poor, the oppressed, the weak in society. There are lots of verses in Proverbs about that. He defends them. And he will reward the kings. He will strengthen their thrones if they pay attention and take care of the widows, the orphans, the strangers, the poor in their kingdom. And not only that, number three, God wants us to do the same for those who are in need. If we are worshiping God who loves these people and you want to follow him, there will be a natural desires, I will say that, coming from within our hearts to do what is in the hearts of our God. And number three, number four is God will reward us for that. But once again, we are not after the reward. We are after the hearts of God whom we worship. And the reward will come by itself. One of the examples of the verses is Proverbs 19 verse 17. Uh, I like this uh, uh, verse. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward them for what, uh, what they have done. Sorry. I often say that in all things, we owe to God. We owe God our lives. We owe God our salvations. We owe God everything that we have. It's all coming from God. But only one thing, God owes us something. That when we are kind to the needy. We lend to him. I don't want to think about this as a transactional way of having relationship with God, but just to know this is just to help us to see into the hearts of God, that he identifies himself 
with these kinds of people. And he wants us uh, to follow that. Then comes another question. So, are we saved only by our good works? What is the place of faith in our spiritual journey? Uh, in the churches, there are two big streams of people doing good things in the society. society. Uh, one is called uh, social gospel. You may have heard about that. Social gospel says that, well, we have to be an activist, uh, feeding the poor, uh, the hungry, and that way is the only way for you to enter into the kingdom of God. So Christianity is only identified by the, all the activities you do. On the other side, we have uh, very strong Christians who can call themselves the in the club of the gospel of salvation. All that is important is to get people from this earth into heaven. We don't care about all the issues and problems they're facing in their lives. The most important thing is people going to heaven. We don't care about social issues. We don't care about environment. We don't care about the lives of people. And I think this is uh, two extremes uh, toward one another. John Stott says that preaching of the gospel of salvation and doing social works, doing good works, are two sides of the same coin. If you have genuine faith in Christ Jesus, if you love Jesus, you will automatically trying to help others because that is what our Lord does all the time. We read the gospel, we know that he's always healing the sick, helping those who are uh, in need in society. And then Jesus says this to the wicked in verse 41 to 46. Then he will say to those in his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. When he said to the righteous, he said, come, you are who are blessed, you who are blessed by my father. When he says to those in the left, he say, depart from me. There is nothing more horrible than not being with God. Being kicked out from the presence of God. And this is what he says to these people. Depart from me. Depart from my presence. And you are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's interesting here. The eternal fire, you know, is hell and lots of other terms used in the Bible is prepared for the devil and his angels. For the kingdom of God, it was prepared for the children before the creation of the world. But for hell, eternal fire, actually only meant for the devil and his angels. Not for, actually not for human, we'll say. That was the original purpose. But as we read the Bible, the devil and his angels do not want to live in hell by themselves. That's why they work very hard for thousands of years to get many other people also into the kingdom of hell. 
So we need to be aware that we are not going to be led by devil and his angels to do things that are uh, not in the hearts of God, and then we will live there forever. The reason he gives was the same, for I was hungry and you gave, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. The same uh, words that was said for the righteous one. They will also give the same answer. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? If we see a little bit deeper on the, the way they, they say, we could say something like that. In case we know that these hungry people were you, we will ask you help. But we didn't know that. In case we know that when we help, we will get the eternal life, we will do that. But because we didn't know that, that there will be a reward for that, we didn't do that. So there is, the, there is a wrong motivation inside the hearts of these people to do these things. Motivation to be seen publicly, probably. Motivation. There are many reasons why people want to do good things. God knows our hearts. God knows our uh, motivations. The, people, the hearts of these people are callous, probably. There is no love in them because there is no God inside of them. There is no Christ inside of them. If you don't have that, you will... you'll have no sensitivity of what is happening around the world. Uh, it is a little bit disturbing, but I, I was told a story uh, happens in one of the countries in, in South Asia. There was a big Bible college, uh, and then in front of the Bible college, there were one couple, one man especially, who was sitting there for years begging, and he was sick. Every morning, the students, the trainees, will come past this man, into the, uh, into the buildings, worship the Lord, study about Jesus, and they want to be passionate about God. In the afternoon, they will go out, pass this man, go home. The next day, they will do the same until that man died on the place in front of the building. Nothing was done. It is said, when we will ask questions, what are the things they are learning inside the building? What Jesus was the thyself, the worship. Because when you worship that Jesus, it will open your eyes uh, for others. And he will reply, truly I'll tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Ah. Uh, so we often know there is a sin of commissions and sin of omissions. Sin of commission is sin because of the things you do. And sin of omission is you don't do the things you're supposed to do. So it's also the problem. So we have problems with things we do. We have problems with the things that we are supposed to do, but we don't do. 
So Jesus says, you did not do what you are you're supposed to do. It's quite challenging for us to find that out. What are the things God wants us to do and we don't do? And what are the things uh, we do that is actually wrong? Um, uh, it is good to explore the Bible, study, think about these things. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the final one. Eternal punishment and eternal life. Now, I don't like to think about there will be eternal punishment. I will prepare to say that there is no such things about that. Many people tend to think like that. Many people now will teach even in the church what they call universalist. Universalist will say that at the end, God will save everyone. Everyone will be saved at the end. No one will be sent into punishment. But the Bible tells us differently, and we have to face the bitter uh, truth. There will be eternal punishment. That means there will be a conscious punishment that people are going through. And the righteous into eternal life, forever being in the presence of God. The last questions will be then, how do we have to live now? How do we have to live now? Uh, John Frame, one of the famous uh, theologians, uh, says something like this. So far as I can see, every Bible passage about the return of Christ is written for a practical purpose. Not to help us developing a theory of history, but to motivate our obedience. To motivate our obedience. And I tend to think so. We don't have to be scared about this, even though there is a reason for that to take this seriously. But we are so grateful that Jesus taught this thousands of years ago. We are so grateful that it is clearly being given in the Bible for us as a guidance to know how we can live right now. Can you imagine that the final judgment, there is no information about that. You, just, you never know what you should do, what you shouldn't do, and at the end, there will be a judgment for you. This is quite scary, because you don't know. But Thousands of years before this happened has been given to us. That means that the hearts of God is for us to be safe. He wants us to know this, to motivate us to live our lives right now. There is opportunity for us. There is a chance for us uh, uh, to do that, to fix that. As we hear right now, there is an opportunity for us uh, to go out and to do things with the end in perspective. 2 Peter 3, 9, is now uh, uh, first on the screen, but I will read from you, for you. The Lord is, no, is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. It is talking about the second coming of Jesus. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the reason why the final judgment, the end of the world globally is not happening yet, it is according to Second Peter because God still wants to give us opportunity. 
to change. Repentance can also mean the change of mind. Change our, our thinking, the way we think, the way we live. There is still opportunity. But there probably probably not that much left. Because actually, in a sense, when we die, the opportunity is gone. So people say there is a personal eschatology, personal returning of Christ. What is that? That when you die, that's all. So we don't know yet when Jesus will come back. Maybe it's 100 years from now, 50 years from now, one week from now. We don't know yet. But some things we know for sure, we all will die. 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, we all will die. And when we die, there is no more chance for us to fix everything. So now is the time when we are still alive. To take this thing seriously, to follow him, to know his heart, his desires, uh, and follow him so that once we stand up before him, we can uh, give account of our lives. There are two questions uh, um, I would like us to take on the, on the screens. Uh, if Jesus comes today and you are to stand before him, what do you think will be his verdicts upon you? Just like this. Why? Are you sure 100% that you will be with him forever? Are you sure that you will be on the his right-hand side or his left-hand side. Secondly, if you claim yourself as a believer, what are you doing with your faith, with your belief? It is idle. Are you bearing fruits of it? Or maybe you just think, yeah, because believing itself is enough, I don't want to do anything with that. I just close my eyes, and, and he said, there are many people who believe in that. In a certain uh, environment, they will say, once you do your public confirmations, that's all. That is a ticket for you to go to heaven. Uh, and, or when you do certain things that require by the church. But this passage is one of the, from the sides of Jesus, teaching us to see the, the end times from this perspective. Let us close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for reminding us again the truth from the Bible. Often we don't want to hear about that, but it's written there, and we have to study and read and think about that. That there will be a final judgment for us. You have set aside a day for that. And I just pray that we are looking forward to that as well as your followers. And we are reminded today that everyone, without exception, will be held accountable for what they do or what they don't do. And help us, Lord, to... uh, seek to bear fruits of our faith in our daily lives. We are reminded, Father, that uh, the judgment will be based on what we do. And help us to bear fruit, Father. Help us to find ways out of our faith to help those who are in need in our society. In the name of Jesus.
We pray and we give thanks. Amen.